The other is I find I do more coaching with females around money and money scripts way more than men. Now we all have our baggage, right? Money was good. Money was bad. Money was tight. Money was plentiful, whatever you grew up with. But women, sometimes I, I have found more than men have guilt associated with it, or there's like this hang up around making too much or being too much, which can sometimes get tied in to finances. So I have seen some self-sabotage when you start to reach certain levels. This is Get Shit Done, a podcast that dives into how women entrepreneurs are gaining traction and growing companies that scale generational impact. Each episode is real talk from women founders who have successfully scaled companies. You'll learn what they did to grow, how they did it, and the tools they used to get it done so you can too. To get access to more episodes of Get Shit Done, along with free traction tools, head on over to shegetshitdone.com. Welcome back to the Get Shit Done podcast, queens and comrades, where our motto is fuck four percent. Yep, we got potty mouths with the purpose because women own nearly half of businesses, but we generate about 4% of total revenues. But that ends here every single week where we break down how you can gain traction, grow on your own terms, and scale generational impact. And today we're breaking down how my girl, Stephanie Neal, CEO of Blind Zebra, was able to scale a bootstrapped six-figure consulting business to a scalable multi-million dollar services business. And y'all, we get into it. And the coolest thing about what Stephanie's company does, it's all about teaching companies how to better sell. So that's what we're gonna focus on today. We dive into the critical things you need to do from the mindset perspective, language you're using, experience, so you can scale and get to the ROI that you desire. The coolest thing about this conversation is how Stephanie was able to deconstruct the selling scaries. Y'all already know what it feels like when you get a little clammy, you get a little flustered, and you're like, I don't know what to say. And a lot of that comes from deconstructing your scarcity mindset. And she's going to give you the tools to help you overcome it. In addition, we go through how they programmatize the business that got them from six to seven figures. This is a major, major key. And more importantly, we get into some of the personal stuff on how we show up personally around money scripts and our work versus personal life and how we show up as quote unquote strong women and where we need to put down the baggage. And if you haven't yet and you're ready to join our tribe in a more meaningful way by becoming a part of a tribe, a movement, and a community that is scaling impact together with the free resources, the connections, the collaborations, head on over to shegetshitdone.com so we can slide up in your inbox and help you get shit done. But without further ado, Queen Stephanie Neal. Stephanie, welcome to Get Shit Done. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm super excited. She's in Indianapolis. She went to Indy 500, which is so cool. I lived in Chicago for 10 years, ah. as many OGs on here know. 
and never made it to Indianapolis, which is crazy. I had so many friends from Indianapolis. Oh my gosh. It is a great city. I love Chicago too. My brother's there and my sister-in-law shout out. Um, and I love getting up there, but I will tell you, Indy is a hidden gem. It's a small, big city. We have sports and arts and the nicest darn people you meet anywhere. I'm a big fan. So we're, we're big fans. So if you haven't been to the 500, that's a great excuse to go because oh. our city and, and everything's just on display. It's usually beautiful. It's usually hot as hell, but it's usually like a really, really nice time to check out. Oh, I the love buzz. the heat. I love the heat. I Same. love being, I'd rather be hot than cold any day. You know what I love? Just the jovialness of you. And it reminds me so much of why I loved the Midwest for the time I was there. I just can't do the winters anymore. But I hear you. It just reminds me when I was in Chicago, big city, small town heart. Like just the, even you said, just the nicest darn people. And it's like, <laughs> it's just such a like humble, wholesomeness that when you meet people from the Midwest, it's so true. Like it is, it's really, what's the word? It's just pure. It's very pure kindness, which I really appreciate. It's like, Oh, wait, we're going to talk to our neighbors. Great. This is, this is cool. It's there is this connectivity that I don't always find when I visit other places. But I have I mean, I love New York City. I love the Bay Area. Like I love the big cities. But there is this connectivity and this willingness to help. We have a couple of newer folks on our team right now straight out of college. And they're like, well, so and so would never grab coffee with me. Mm. I'm like, no, like, they would. I mean, there's they another would. topic there, of course, but Indy so like wraps their arms around new people because we want everybody to love it as much as we do and yeah. they help and it's helpful. So yeah, I, I could go on and on about the Midwest, but it's a great place. I love it. And this is not an <laughs> ad for Indianapolis. This is just, <laughs> I, need, I haven't even been there, but it sounds lovely. My parent, my mom and my brother were just there. So they <laughs> loved it, loved it, loved it. But I'm excited for you to be here to talk about Blind Zebra, but before we hop in, I wanna first check in with the feels. We Before we started recording, we're talking about it. And I would love for you to describe one word for how you're feeling right now. Oh, you know, we do check-ins before a lot of meetings and trainings around here, but I don't usually, this is good. I'm feeling, <laughs> I gotta just pick one. You can pick two. I'm feeling energized and optimistic today. I love it. Why is that? Well, it's Friday. It's mm. beautiful out. I've got my coffee sitting here. I've been looking forward to talking to you again and Same. doing this. This is really, and my schedule's not too packed. So I've got one of those days where I'm going to get some shit done. I'm just going to, you know, sort of ease into the weekend. Our kids are coming home. We, we have family or I guess a, a blended family. And our kids are home every other weekend, so kids are home. So, yeah. What about you? I love it. I love it. So before we started recording, I was telling Stephanie that I'm in this phase in my life, and then I feel like with age, there's always these transitions, right? I feel like I'm in a split-screen moment where my spirit and my body feel very peaceful, and for the most part. It's my mind that has some pretty bad patterns of negative self-talk, all these things, where my spirit and my body are like, honey, come on, you gotta catch up, what's going on? And it's like, no, I don't want change. Like, this is how we've been doing it and everything was good. And it's like, but it hasn't been, you know? <laughs> and 
I love that saying. We've said it here before. What got you here won't get you there because One there are, it, except like the fundamental things like kindness and communication and whatever. But there's just things that allowed you to maybe thrive or survive in previous parts of your life that just don't fuel you anymore. They actually exhaust you. So I'm there. Like I feel this again, split screen. There is a part of me that feels anxious and then there's a part of me that feels content it is very contradictory <laughs> it is well and i love your visual of the split screen mm -hmm. and then shout out to another podcast i listened to dax shepherd armchair yes. experts he was quoting something i'm sure i'll f this up but there was a study where for some sort of medical disorder they actually snipped the connector between the two sides of people's brains that's cool and to communicate, I can't remember if it's the right or left, one side was able to talk. The other side didn't have control of verbal, but it could spell out things using like Scrabble tiles. So they would ask a person the same question and depending on what side of the brain answered, you would get a different answer. So I found that so profound. So to your point, you're like, okay, half my brain is not an anxiety. And half my brain is, you know, we got that contention, content and anxiety yes. going on. So I, it, I don't know if that's helpful to you. It made me feel at peace with like, this is why when I make big decisions, it's never black and white. Mm. Part of my brain is thinking about it differently than the other part. I don't know. Uh, that's deep for a Friday. No, I love it. This is why we do the podcast on Fridays. We do all of our recordings because like my, my Fridays for our, our team's four, four day, everyone on our team decides what their four day is going to be. So mine is Fridays. Fridays are creative. Podcast doesn't feel like work to me. It feels fun. I get to connect with awesome people. Someone else on my team, our associate program manager, is just like, actually, I'd rather work on Fridays. And like, because she was getting anxious. She was like, oh, I feel like I'm trying to fit into this box. And I was like, well, what would feel good for a four-day four, four day work week for you? And she was like, I'd rather take Mondays off. And I was like, take Mondays off. Just come to the team meeting and then dip out, you know? But it's so, it's so interesting that you say, like, what is going to speak for you? Because... You know, earlier this week, spirit body were very much so in the driver's seat. And then it was speaking for me. So like the mind was like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna go here. And then the mind took over the last two days and is like trying to, you know, if it's scrabble pieces in my body to be like, something should be wrong. And it's like, there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong here. There's literally nothing wrong, but it's old habits and patterns of like, you know, running on autopilot with stress and anxiety and feeling if that's not there, am I doing enough? It's this very interesting moment in my life yes. where it's like, you don't need to feel those things to be productive or to be successful. So that's my unlearning right now. And it is very like, what is it? What is it? Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde type of thing. Yeah. So. It's that, but I'm so happy you're content. And actually the last two weeks we've had very optimistic, energized people and it's a good um, balance for me. So this is filling me. I'm so happy you're here and I'm happy you're feeling that way. So I want to hop into you and Blind Zebra and all of that, but I want to take it back because we think that's really important. So what were you doing before Blind Zebra was founded? What were you all about? What was important to you? What work were you doing? Yeah. Well, I like to always say I'm a sales chick at heart. Yes. So 
I, I mean, I've always loved people. I had no idea where that would take me growing up, but loved people, love a good scoreboard, super competitive, but more yeah. with myself than others. Mm-hmm. Although if you play me in Monopoly. Oh, that's me in Taboo. Cut, cut I, I am, in, <laughs> I am, a, what did they say about Nick? I were listening to something like, what is it, The Breakfast Club? And they said, Nicki Minaj is a bad winner. <laughs> I'm that when it comes to taboo. I'm a bad winner. Like, I'm just awful to play with That's when I'm funny. good. <laughs> That's really funny. I might be a bad winner now that you say that. Yeah. No, so I've always been competitive and thought about how to channel. I was student activities geek to the nines in high school. Yearbook editor or associate editor, cheerleader, captain, and um, captain. I can't talk today. Uh, class officer, all those things. So when I landed at Purdue University in West Lafayette, I was like, I'm not gonna do any of that shit. I am just gonna like go to class and have friends and major in social life. And then I ended up in a sorority accidentally and somehow I became president. So we can, we can only battle who we are so much, but that kind of combined both my love now that I look back. I love leadership. I love getting to build other people up. I love um, helping people develop it just because I was helped to develop and I love to pay that forward when I can. And, you know, obviously we're never working or work finished. So I took the first job that was offered to me out of school selling and I sold car dealers and I sold them junk mail and I cold called. So I learned all the boiler room stuff. I mean, we were dialing for dollars, 100, 150 cold calls a day, somehow made a really great career out of that. I still love automotive. Um, Did that for about a decade, worked through some leadership roles there, cut my teeth, Went to a big company. I worked for Gannett, who owns USA Today, and about 130 local newspapers across the country. Led a sales team there. Then I got to get into SaaS and build out a customer success team, which is so selling. Cool. It is it's all just a selling. little different kind. Like we don't, CS people don't, they get into CS because they don't like sales. That's what I have found. But that was really fun. And that brings us to today. So yeah, my, my path has always been in selling either um, directly or in building out autonomous high-powered sales teams. That's my niche. That is so cool. And it's interesting because I have a lot of synergies. I think the moment I got into my undergrad and like you realize like wherever you come from, it's like you're the cream of the crop there. Then I get to my undergrad and I'm like, everyone's the cream of the crop where they come from. And I'm just like, I'm not competing on academics here. Um, (laughs) Same. (laughs) I'm opting out. But what am I really good at? What am I going to optimize for? And I love that you said I, you know, I basically studied social life. Like, that was me. I was really good at it. I was really good. I was the connector. (laughs) I was the person people hit up. What's happening tonight? What I, I knew, and I'm always been a floater friend. I never had one friend group. And if I was in one friend group for too long, even though I had like good ties with people, I got bored. I'm just like, I'm not, let me free. I can't be just with one group of people. I need to see what's happening over here. And I like bridging those gaps with people, curating community. Um, And I'm always selling other people to each other. And then when I got to school, it was always selling. I was always like, somehow I ended up inheriting some organization called Hype. And it, we did this thing called Lascivious Ball, and it was basically very like, I mean, it was very like pro-sex, pro-sexual expression. And they used to like used to do these like balls that were really small. And I am one of those people, I'm very competitive and I love to go big. Like, let's go big. And I'm like, we've done this Lascivious Ball before, maybe a hundred people would show up. It was very low key, but I'm like, more people can get there. And the theme we had it the year I did, it was 1984. And there's like Rocky Horror. There's all these things happening during the time. 
And so it was like, that was a theme. Everyone had to, had to dress up that way. We had like some of the nerdiest people, University of Chicago, dressing up so sexy in lingerie, like 400, 500 students. Mind you, we're like an undergrad of 4,000, which is a lot. That's a huge percentage of the student population. (laughs) And seeing these nerds like, like go ham, like having the time free expression, I'm just like, yes. And then, you know, I had all these sales jobs, like when I was in school as like side hustles to build up my businesses. I'm like, I need capital some way. Whether it was being a stylist or whether it was, there was this designer in Chicago that wanted me to be her director of sales when I got out of school, but I was like, I'm building my own company, you know? So uh, that resonated so much. And I tell people, I'm just like, you know, mastering and, you know, studying social life is really helpful. <laughs> it's really helpful. It's, I don't care what you do in business. People are involved. Yes. And like, like you said, being the social hub, like we actually teach something called hub selling where mm. you're the connector. You're the middle of the wheel. There's so much to be said for the value in that. And yes. it's not just, I can't tell you about the cave alga theory, whatever, I can't even use the right words, that I learned about in my mass comm class, sitting in a lecture hall with 500 other people. But I can tell you about, yeah, how navigating with other leaders on campus to put something together like what you did. I can only imagine what you learned from your ball. Those are the lessons that are that are so important when we're in college. Yes, and yeah. I'm really excited because in this episode, since you are a sales master and that's honestly what ceos of companies and startups need to be doing is selling so we're going to dive into that because i think there's also a misconception that oh it sounds like you both were so social some of the best salespeople i know are actually not always the most extroverted they turn it on yep. but then they're like okay everyone get away from me <laughs> I, I, like, I i totally agree yes yes so i'm excited because we're going to dive into that because we say this often you need to be selling. That is the most important thing for yep. your company. But I want to dive into what Blind Zebra is and why was it founded? And you have a very interesting trajectory because you work with your husband. I do. <laughs> God bless. Uh, he's my favorite. And it was a journey. I love it. Yeah. Primarily Blind Zebra was founded because we believe there's always a way to do something better. So the journey is never complete. We never reach the destination. There's always a way to do it better. My husband is our founder. I'm the CEO, Partners. He has been in sales coaching and training for about 25 years. And BZ was founded eight years ago after he had left another partnership he was in. He wanted to go out on his own. He wanted to have some fun with the brand. And he wanted to really be able to dive into his own content and take that out. So that's the short story. The fun story about the brand is it is a nod to his side hustle as a football zebra. So he is a referee in the National Football League. He's starting his so ninth cool. season now. So cool. He just worked at the Super Bowl. First time, lifelong dream. Amazing. Very cool. Still gives me goosebumps. He wrote down that he wanted to work the Super Bowl at 51 years old when he was 19. So he wrote that goal down when he was 19. And at 52... He worked at the Super Bowl. So very inspiring. Wow. Lots of lessons to be learned around that culture of elite performance. Mm. How they practice, how they drill, how they coach, how they learn. So we try to bring some of that in. It's not all football all the time around here, but we do try to bring in some um, of that elite performance kind of content. We exist to serve three groups of people. Sales teams, so the getters of new clients. Whoever is in charge of keeping and growing clients. So sometimes that's account management, sometimes it's client success, 
And then the third group are the leaders of those teams. And we have programming, coaching, training, and peer groups for those B2B groups of people. We, we specialize in B2B, B2B sales. I love it. I love that you and your, your partner are compliments to each other. And the fact that you're the CEO, because I see this so often in businesses, you know, who, who gets the CEO title. And sometimes we might think that it needs to be the person that founded it or whatnot. Sometimes that's not the role that's best for them or actually what they want to do. But yeah, it's, yeah. we put so much prestige behind it. And I'm, I always tell people, I'm like, being a CEO is like being a glorified project manager. Like, <laughs> like It's all ops all the time. All ops. It really is. <laughs> it really is. It's like my job is to keep cash in the bank, make sure you get people get paid, make sure we're getting to where we need to go. But I love that you compliment each other and the fact that you both love sales in your own way, because it sounds like you're the doer, like you're, I'm gonna get it done. And he's the, I'm gonna bring the people along, the sell, you know, the vision and do the thing, get in the trenches with the folks. And I'm sure you do too, but it seems like from your past, you really love the aspect of, I wanna go out there and sell to people. Yep. And you nailed it. I don't think, you know, we, we operate under EOS, the based on the book traction by Gino Wickman, if anybody's, I know a lot of, a lot of starting companies utilize it and they say, yep. you've got a visionary and you've got an integrator and usually the visionary, the big picture, the casting it out. He's all about the content. I always tell him he's the talent. They are not, <laughs> they're not wired to go in and say, how do we operationalize this? How do we scale this? How do we, so it, it has worked out well that we happen to marry that both being married and also for the business. I love that. And it, it takes a lot to take that ego out too, because of, we love titles. And I know I was obsessed with this in my, my former business. And when I had resigned, my identity was so tied up in a title and, yes. oh, I was a founder by this age. And then I was this, and we raised this much money and blah, blah, blah. We got to this. And I'm just like, none of that, like, that's great. But like, what do you like? Cause I was exhausted at the end. I was like, I don't really like what I'm doing. And I'm just like, I wasn't in the right role for me. Like I am very much a CEO. I'm yeah. very much a CEO. So that's really cool that you, especially as I mean, actual real life partners can navigate both of those. So that's amazing. Have you, do you feel like the way you all balance each other? Cause I'm always fascinated by people that work together that are married. Do you, do you find that there's different roles you take in your business versus what roles you take at home or is it similar? Yeah, that's a great question. I, yeah, I don't know if he would agree with me. So at work, I'm, I'm usually, I'm the tiebreaker. I'm kind of in charge and I have a high power driver. I know this, there's empirical data that I am, that I have that. So I like to be in charge at Same. home. He would say I'm in charge. I usually feel like I let him take the lead at home, like leader of our family. And maybe that's, you know, traditional Midwest values, a little bit popping out. I mean, I'm a very independent woman. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like I, yeah, I feel like that is a difference. Amen. So God bless my former <laughs> partner. What I loved about him, I mean, God bless. I've been blessed with many incredible men. I'm very, that's very. A, what fortunate. a great, that's a great life story. If you can say that, that is like big You know, marks. I'm always very fascinated with people that are like speak down about their exes, teach their mm -hmm. own. But I feel like everyone that you choose is a reflection of you in that moment in your life. 
Ah, and I oh, feel profound, Alex. Very true. And I write can, it down. Every single person I've dated has been a reflection of me at that moment in my life. Huh. And my most recent partner, he it's uh, that was the first time I actually let go that I had to be independent, do everything all the time because I started resenting me doing it at home. Like my last place before I got my own place, I had roommates and I took on the CEO in the house and I'm like, I, I'm exhausted. No one asked me to, but I did it because yes. that was my MO. And finally, when I started dating that person, I realized I'm like, no, because he was, he was good at stepping up and saying, what do you need? What do you need? And I realized when we started going out to like small things like restaurants, one day I was just like, I don't want to make any more decisions. I make decisions all day. And from that moment forward, every time we went out to dinner, unless I had a very specific thing I wanted, like, ooh, I'm craving this. And I would just tell him, but he knew what I liked. And so the waiters would come and bring me my menu. And he'd be like, no, 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 give me that menu. And he would just like, she's going to have this, like this. Give her a martini with the twist with this vodka. You have to get this vodka. Like, and I didn't have to do anything. And I loved that. I love that. I don't want to be a CEO of my household. I don't. I just don't because I'm CEO every other waking hour of my day. <laughs> yes. Well, and I love, and there are two things you said. You said, they didn't ask me to, but I did it. Hmm? Like, mic drop. How many of us are that way, wired, especially as females? Yes. And then secondarily, it is so liberating to say, like, I will, I'm going to give someone else the opportunity to take care of me in this way. Like, you know, you come on a podcast, this is obviously your audience. We're talking a lot to female entrepreneurs. We're trying to get the, get the crew motivated and, you know, keep going, let's do this. And I sometimes feel like back to the right, left side of the brain, these are, these life views seem like they're in opposition to each other, but they don't have to be like, I can be a strong female CEO and I can let my partner take care of me. And it's like, so liberating so liberating and that was the first time that i allowed myself to accept that part of me saying no i i don't like whatever strong in my mind meant was not healthy for me and so i'm like no i don't need to carry all this all the time yeah. and i was actually just talking to one of my friends dd chan she's an incredible founder as well and we had lunch yesterday and she told me in Chinese tradition, there's an equation for like luck or a good life. And it is first receive, then give, then serve. And I loved that because something we have been thinking as with my team lately around the socialization of women and how we nurture our community. One of the biggest barriers I see for women is we take on, including myself, the trope of being the giver. And the equation I think we're socializing is actually, you know, not in alignment with the Chinese tradition of, you know, what I mentioned. I think women do it first as give, serve, then we receive. Yep. And then we're so depleted. And myself, I, I'd like, I'm learning how to receive and it's been really hard for me, but it's fascinating because if we look at even the, the metrics of what's happening with women-owned businesses stuck at 4% of revenues, it's because that receive part is not nurtured in the way it should. It needs to be at the forefront. And that's yeah. really hard when we are socialized to put everybody else in front of us. So I'm curious, 
as to you being the CEO, how do you navigate that daily, especially with your teams when you're leading? And I'm sure you have a mixed team, but a lot of women on your team are going to look to you to see whether we like it or not. That's the norm. That's what I should aspire to. Maybe I want to be a CEO one day. So how do you balance that for yourself so you don't get to the point of exhaustion? Because the number one word we hear from women founders in our community is overwhelm. Mm. And I think it's because we're lacking the receiving part. We're just yeah. giving, giving, serving, serving, and we're not creating space to, to receive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's a big question. That's a great question. And I personally suck at it. So Uh, Stephanie, uh, tell me all your, this is not a, yeah, this certainly don't have this all figured out. Uh, But I do think with age and career and experience, I have gotten better. You know, there's like the philosophical stuff and then there's the tactics. So philosophically, I think I got to a point where I accepted my perfectionism is going to have to dial down a little bit, which is I'm an Enneagram three really difficult for me. But usually in my life, one of my former partners, my first husband used to say, you're either really good at home or you're really good at work. It's never both at the same time. And it's so true. So, (laughs) so there's that. So I have just sort of released this idea that like, I'm going to be badass mom, badass wife, badass CEO, all at the exact same time. And I've said, um, I'm going to let myself go through these phases of when I'm needed more at home, I'm going to lean into that and I'm going to know that something at work's probably not the way that I would want it. And then vice versa, there are these, you know, seasons in life. So summer is a tough transition for me. I need to be home for my kids more. And that, and I left my own devices. I'm kind of a workaholic. So I would be at the office. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I blend those two things? So that's, that's kind of my mindset on it. Tactically, you know, you guys do the four day work week, which I love. I have that on our, um, like issues list to process if we want to think about going toward that model. We require a one free day per month, at least per employee. And a free day is no Slack, no email, no calendar. And I would love it if you get to go do something for yourself. It's not like an errands day. It's like a, if you like to read on the back porch, you like to go to the pool, you go shopping, whatever you do. So that's one way that we try to help people. We have unlimited PTO and all that good stuff too. And then I think, you know, there's situational leadership. So we do, we're about half female, half male on our team. This is one of the number one things that especially uh, newer to their career women are asking me about. So I encourage them like, take the time in the morning to work out. We live in a flex culture right now. Oh my gosh, these kids today, they don't understand when we all used to have to show up at the office and business casual clothes at 8 a.m. and take a 30 minute lunch and come back at five, you know, and go home at five, like find a job that suits what you need to receive and a career that you can do that, whether it's starting your own deal or just finding somebody that, you know, understanding of that. So if somebody needs to go to yoga at 3 p.m., and especially when you're the founder or the CEO of your company, you know, giving yourself permission. So I am a natural night owl. I have never grown out of that. I've, since I was a kid, <laughs> just stayed up for hours looking at the freaking wall at night because I, my brain's wired to wake up. Like I am literally 10 o'clock up, nine o'clock up. I'm like, let's go. And I can go to one or two and I'm in my zone. Like I feel like, oh, like I'm unstoppable. But that means I'm not waking up at 7 a.m. I have seasons where it's like 8 a.m. 
or it might be nine or it might be 10 and I need to adjust for how I'm best designed. And I think like, and I've gone through this where we will shame ourselves so much for like, I should be like early bird gets the worm. I'm like, forget that worm. worm. I want the land, take the worm, take the worm. But it took me so long to get there, to give myself permission. I'm like, this is my company. If I don't want to take a meeting before 10 a.m., I'm not. Yes. Not. I love that. How do you, are, okay, so this is something we talk about sometimes and I have an opinion, but I don't know if it's right. How do you handle if you are working at 10, 11, midnight, and communicating with your team from a boundary perspective? So we have team members around the world, but I would say one of the pieces of our onboarding when we are training someone is getting to know them. We co-work with them so they can like see things on the job. That also gives us, whoever's managing them, the idea of, oh, this person's really good and seems best wired at this time. And we ask that when are you best wired for meetings? Yeah. When are you best wired to get things done? Because my thing is, I don't care when you do it, as long as it's done by the deadline. Okay, if it's same. at 5 a.m. your time and you love it, do it. <laughs> like, I don't care. I'm not going to be up. <laughs> you know, I'm not responding. <laughs> don't be asking me questions, but. <laughs> right. And my team knows very clearly, Alex doesn't take meetings before 10 a.m. If uh, something's on fire, people know, call me. But for yeah. the most part, we have pretty good systems in place where things are pretty good. So I think it's just, like you said, it's really case by case. We put that into the, incorporate that into the onboarding, the training, and ask people, like, be honest. When are you best optimized? Because then when we have our one-on-ones with you, let's try, look, can we align together? based on how we both you know, show up or you and that other person show up because the best collaboration is when everybody is in their best form. Like yes. no one's getting on my calendar for the most part at 4 p.m. because I hit a wall, I'm like dead. I'm like, oh my God, I, I don't have anything else to give and I need to go out and walk or go to the gym or whatever it is. So that's usually how, how I do it. What are some of your like, what are some of the things that you do with your team to allow a allow yourself as a leader to best lead and optimize mm -hmm. for when you're you're wired best and align that with your team members that need to be managed by you yeah by you yeah i think somewhat similar to you we you know we're, we're looking at the people so mondays are kind of our internal meeting i start working with colleen she knows this she's not going to be upset i use her name she's very aware mondays colleen comes into the office with wet hair so we call her wet hair colleen on mondays come on wash day it's a vibe it's more I like a, it. I washed my hair this morning, but I can't quite like blow dry it. So she comes in, she walks, if we're on video, I don't know if everybody can see this. She kind of walks like this and you say, morning, Holly. And she goes, Hey, and she sits down. Now if she had sales calls. She's one of those people, like you said, that turns it on. Hi, happy Monday. But I realized very quickly working with Colleen, wet hair Colleen is not a good one-on-one -on -one day. So we moved it to Tuesday. So we do things like that. I think most of it's leading by example. So like you said, when your team sees that you're working to your best energy, then it gives them permission to do it. The worst, I've, I have worked in these, you know, get after it cultures and I'm a get after it person. Don't get me wrong. But when my boss is emailing me at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, even if he says, this was a guy in this case, don't, you know, don't worry about it. I've just wanted to get this to you. Like, I know you're probably at home. Like, no, no, no response needed. That's not modeling that 
to me, for me. Now, people set up things with, you know, different expectations. So for me, one of my rules is if I'm emailing or I'm working at night or on a weekend or on a free day, well, I don't usually work on free days, but wherever I'm using that like scheduled email or I'm keeping a running tally of like, I need to communicate this in our team meeting instead of modeling this behavior of working all hours of the day, not because of my energy, but because like, we're the kind of culture that works 15 hours a day. Like, I don't, I don't want that vibe. I love that. And I need to be more conscious of that because I do schedule a lot of messages, especially if I'm working late, but because our team centralizes all of our communications on our platform where we do our chats, I will have something because I'm like, oh, I'm up. So I'm just sending this with the idea, like they know that I'm just up and that's when I usually do stuff knowing that, no, you don't need to respond to me. But I think there is that trigger for people that even if they know that it could still inside in them from previous experiences. I need to be on or it creates panic when it shouldn't be. So I need to be more conscious of that. Just send the email instead of the chat. So that's a really, a really good point. And I'm excited to talk about sales because yeah. sales is big. And we talk about this all the time with founders. Every founder we've had on this podcast has done sales well and had to figure it out. And what I loved about even like researching a little bit about Blind Zebra is you all talked about how you know shared thought action language in sales is the most important and you work with teams that have actual sales teams but for the folks who are listening in these are startup founders they have a team of one or a, a smaller team not yeah. going to be like fortune 500s or you know <clears throat> in the 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 hundreds yet most likely even though we have a couple of those but for the most part the majority are going to be sales is on them for now. Yes. And so based on the methodology you all take, how can a founder incorporate that shared thought, action, and language in sales when they're going out to, to pitch something, a deal, an investor, so that it's consistent and it gets to the ROI that they want? Yep. No, great question. And two years ago when I joined the family firm, I was the salesperson. So we are not so far removed from this model. And it is different. It's different than when I used to sit at a sales seat for another company because it's yours and it's your baby. So first, the think, do, say methodology that you're talking about, we always believe we have to tend to how we show up first. So a lot of training I had over my career was you do this and you say that. So you pick up the phone, you schedule the meeting, you take people to the suite for the Colts game, and then you say, you know, X, Y, Z, or here's your script. That's how most trainings that I was exposed to worked. And you know what? Nothing beats a great process. So lots of value there. That will be one of my takeaways for founders. Like you got to have a process. So that's the do and the say. It's uber important. You can be taught all that shit though. And if you show up and you are in scarcity mindset because you're waiting on your funding to come through or you come through and you show up like I'm so attached to getting this account because if I can put this logo on my website, like validation galore, if you're showing up like that, so the way we think, the head, heart, and soul stuff, it doesn't matter what you do and say. It's not going to land. Mm. So that's, that's where the think, do, say comes for us at its, at its core. So when you are training people, how can you get what are the key things to get them out of scarcity? Because I've been here and I know there's lots of people listening right now 
that maybe they're fundraising right now. Maybe they're going for that B2B deal and it's, they're, they're a little scared and maybe it's like, well, I only have this much runway left because let me tell you when yep. I was fundraising at my last company, the amount of investors I had to go to and turn it on, honey, when I'm like, we have four weeks of runway. This is going to be interesting. And as anxious as I was, it was like, I cannot go into this space with this energy because nobody wants to be in partnership with the desperate person. Right. It just doesn't feel good. It feels like this is very forced. And how are we partners? So what advice would you have for founders who are like, to shift out of that scarcity mindset because they are in place, a hard rock. What is it? Between is a it? rock and a hard place. Well, between a rock and a hard place. I can't speak today either. <laughs> because that happens so often when you're in the, the early stage, even as you're growing, there's just so many like, oh my God, we need to get this done. We need cash. What advice do you give salespeople that you all are coaching when it comes to that? Great question. And there's no pixie dust here. I wish there was the magic wand. One thing we find is super helpful is first acknowledging it to yourself. So you show up and you're feeling your anxious brain's going, you know, it's just like your therapist. I've had several over my lifetime. I have my current one. I love therapy. I'm talking <laughs> to Clara in two hours. Can't wait. <laughs> yes. It's awesome. I love that you do that on your day, you know, your pseudo day off too. Mm -hmm. It's like good, like soul me, rejuvenation. Yep. Yes. So therapists will say, name your feelings, right? Like identify what the core feeling is. So one of the things we help with, and if anybody wants to go to our website, we've got a free download of it. We have 10 core philosophies in the thinking column. One of them is abundance. So I'll speak to that since we were talking about it. It's one of our top three, actually. So one is just this feeling of the market being abundant, even if it doesn't feel like it in that moment. You can do lots of things to try to kind of mind trick yourself on this. We say here in Indianapolis, we have a loop that goes around the city, 465. It's a bypass. And literally we sell to anybody B2B. Now we've got our ideal customer and all that stuff, but anybody that has a B2B sales team, we can help them. If I drive, it takes about 45 minutes. I've actually done this accidentally before. If I drive all the way around the city and I just look out one side, just right or left, there are so many effing businesses. Like there's so much opportunity. And this is, you know, when you're, especially in the SaaS space, you're looking at your TAM, your total addressable market. It's huge. So just grounding yourself in the abundance of the market. Now, I know there's time. I know there's real, I know there's real shit. Like we're self-funded, which means every time we make a hire, I'm like, okay, we got to keep rolling or this, we gotta hit this those impacts numbers. the Neil's checkbook directly if we're not hitting our numbers. So I get the pressure side of it, but it's more about getting yourself into that mindset and acknowledging like, okay, I could be showing up with scarcity here. I need to try to elevate myself out of it. And secondarily, sometimes it's okay to say that. You got to be careful. Mm. That's a, that's a dicey one. But sometimes I actually, our founder sells occasionally. I heard Brian working a deal the other day and he said, Hey guys, I'm just going to tell you, I'm feeling a little attached to this deal. I'm attached to the outcome because we teach detachment. He's like, I'm feeling attached because I love what you do. This culture seems great. And I, I like the, you guys as the leaders. So I just want to acknowledge that because I don't want to come on too strong, but I also want, you know, I really want to work with you. Okay, this brings me to the language because I think the sociologists in me, I love language. I think language shapes so much what we say internally, what we say outwardly, how we perceive ourselves and how people perceive us. And so when it comes to that language piece, that's so powerful that he could go into that meeting and say, look, y'all, I'm, I'm feeling really attached to this deal. That feels scary for most people. Like, 
I could lose the deal if like, because vulnerability is not celebrated in our culture. We have some yeah. people like Brene Brown that talk about it, but if we talk about the majority of people, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. We are still socialized agree. in shame and I need a peacock. I need to show that I'm the motherfucking shit. And <laughs> yeah, but there's a difference between showing and feeling that. And yeah. so for those, I call them the selling scaries, mm. you know, what, what advice would you have for founders that are in those meetings and showing up so authentically to be able to be in a position where Brian did that said, look, this is how I'm actually feeling without them feeling as if they are less than or inferior for having that connection mm -hmm. moment. Like yeah. it, a language is what you all do really well. And I would love for you to dive into the importance of it and how founders can be even shifting their language when they're in those moments, because selling is just relationship building and it's connection. And so number one on our thinking column is intention. And we believe you can say any fucking thing you want if your intention's clean. If my intention is truly to show up and to help you, and that means being willing to walk away from a deal that doesn't work. We've all taken bad deals. It does Ooh, not work child. out well. Mm -mm. It doesn't work out well for anyone. <laughs> no, nope. because it usually takes way too much energy from you. You're sinking all these resources into this deal that was your savior deal. And so now you can't go find the things that are good. Then the client is not a fan and it's a mess. So your intention has to be clean and it has to be to be helpful. And maybe that means you introduce one of your competitors and that's how your intention stays clean. So if you have clean intention and it is truly to be resourceful and helpful to the person across the table, you can literally do and say whatever you want. That, I mean, just write that down. Like that, the, as a salesperson, mm. when I first heard this, I was like, wait, but I used to get taught manipulation and I used to get taught white lies and I used to get taught Get them so into their pain that they're crying and you'll be celebrated for it. And that felt off to me. So I'm like, I can sell mm -hmm. and have good intention. And founders, by their nature, usually do. So then I shift into founders have this amazing ability because after you get really good at selling as a founder, your next challenge is you cannot hire a sales team to sell the way you did because you have the original passion. People talk about the original sin or whatever. I was listening to another podcast on that recently. And it, and it struck me. I'm like, the founders have the original passion. So you are in this unique position to be able to convey that with good intention. And then, so that's the selling scare, scary stuff, like get your head right. And then you've got to have a process. We work with founders. We have a small group here in Indy. Oh, we have a great friend, Liesl Mertes. She's an empathy consultant. She is the most amazing, like I, go look her up, her content's so great. And because of the work she does by nature, she struggles sometimes to sell herself because mm. she's so empathetic that if Alex is like, well, we don't have the, she's like, oh, I know, I understand. She's so great. And all she needed was a little bit of a process. Now don't get me wrong. She had a great business. It's not like, but the process has helped her ground the, uh, the original passion into something that she can replicate and she can lead clients through. Clients want to be told how to buy. And when you can lean in on your assertiveness around a process and those two things together, your lights out. This doesn't mean you close every deal. But still, it's the, I like that you said keeping your intention clean. This reminds me of Salisa Barian from C um, C COI Energy. I think I got that right. Sometimes I have dyslexic moments in my mind. And side note, dyslexic people are geniuses. Every dyslexic person I know is just a genius. So I celebrate that. But she 
said the same thing is that they have 0% churn and that's incredible. Wow. That's a great business yeah. um, because she's the type of person she's like, if we can't serve that potential client, we will introduce them to a competitor that we think mm -hmm. can do it better. And I love that because we do the same thing. With if I, we could serve every woman founder, I would love it. Cause I just love having a tribe of badass women doing great things together and creating magic and collaboration and seeing them rise. Like that is like the dream for me. Like I get a high off of it, but then there's some people that are at certain places where I know we're not the best place to serve you right now. Yeah. So go here because they do that really well. And it's so crazy because we've had people that did not get into our programs or we said, you're badass, but actually for what you need to focus on right now, you should go there. That have referred other founders to us like you have to go there. And they never yeah. even went through our programs. They never went through our community, nothing. But I love that keeping your intention clean and back to the scarcity, it's so hard because sometimes you're like, I need this but it really comes back. Like it really comes back to you when you have that clean intention. I love that language. It's amazing. So what I love about Blind Zebra and I love a lot of services businesses, a lot of great businesses scale because they start at ser as services. And I think you learn a lot. It's great R&D. And this company was able to go from six figures to the multi-millions in 10 quarters, which is incredible because you all program programmatized get my words right walk us through what does that look like that helped you all get to that next level yeah oh, a lot of trial and error i think i think having a visionary is so important and i know a lot of the founders listening are likely visionaries by nature i am not i can't i i can visualize like visually like what a house will look like once i decorate it I cannot see out five or 10 years. I'm, my brain immediately goes to what are all the steps it's going to take to get us there? So Blind Zebra is a 100% product of the vision that Brian has and where we're going. And then I get to plug in and do the ops, which is a little bit about what you're asking about. This may seem super elementary, but since we're speaking on sales, literally day one, the first thing I did, because he was a consultant, he was running around. It was a great lifestyle business. Like you said, it was well into six figures. It was really nice. Took care of our family. He had 10 or 12 really great clients. And that was it. And he would get enough referrals that, you know, I just kind of kept rolling. The first thing I did was sign up for salesforce.com. Get a freaking CRM. HubSpot has a wonderful free version. I know there are others. I'm a huge Salesforce fan. I think it was $25 a month, which at that moment I had to really think about because I had just left my really nice salary as VP of client success to come join the family biz, but that that's life-changing and start with the end in mind. So if you are building something, document it, figure out what you're doing. Every founder has a process that they're using to sell. They may hope it's better. They may think it needs work, but document it because as you grow, then you have somewhere to go back and edit and iterate. So from an operational perspective, get some systems in place now. Don't think like, oh yeah, those stacks of journals on my desk, you know, I'll get back to that. I took notes on that and I'll get back to it. So if you're trying to scale, that's a super small tactical thing that can be really, really big later on. So that's one piece of advice. And then you've got to figure out how to box it up and how to make it, this is one of our phrases, easy to buy and easy to sell. Easy to buy and easy to sell. So many of us, like I can only imagine as you guys were getting going, Alex, there's so many ways that you can support founders. 
So you, you're like, well, we just, you know, used to, we just need to talk to clients and figure out what their problems were. And we'd tailor up this magic process for them, or we'd consult them on their sales process. We'd get it built and customized. You can't scale custom consulting. What you mm-hmm. can scale is the framework that you use day in and day out with the clients that you're using. And you can scale for the biggest problems. If I talk to any sales leader, they usually have about three of the same. Like there's three top issues that I hear over and over and over again. In almost every market, once you dial in on what the market is, there's that. So it's really thinking about how can we take the, ma- the, the madness of our process as consultants and make it easy to buy and easy to sell. So you got to productize it. And that's something that we have kind of had a winding road on, but we've landed now in this place that we have our, we have our delivery model and we have our content. And once we married those two things together, it became much more clear for our sales reps to sell and for our clients to decide if they want to sign up or not. I love that. So one of my favorite questions I ask is what has been one of the biggest mistakes you've made while growing this business that has become one of your best lessons as a leader? Ah, yeah. Well, these are just two like actual like business decisions. One, we dabbled in this B2C space for a minute. So we're thinking there's all these small sales teams. There's all these individual contributors that want growth and learning. And maybe their companies don't support that, but they are willing to support it themselves. So how can we serve them with a model that allows them to get great coaching and training in a way that economically an individual contributor doesn't, you know, stress about writing the check for it once a month. So if you go to our website, it still looks a little bit like this model because we have not updated it. This was probably- That's okay. You're getting the sales. It don't matter. Um, Yeah. So uh, we're not leaning into that anymore because of lots of reasons. But what we learned was, first of all, it takes a lot of consumers. If you're doing that B2B versus B2C thing, it takes a lot of consumers to add up to one B2B deal. And then we still were having to sell it. We did not get to that PLG, that product-led growth space yet. Maybe we would have, I don't know, but we didn't. So we're spending all this time selling individual contributors at hundred bucks a month, 150 bucks a month, which is great if you're coming, you know, but we knew we needed more to support the business. So we have shifted to B2B also better for the consumer. Like as an individual sales rep, you're getting all this, you know, I think great coaching. And then if it doesn't align with your leadership and it doesn't align with your organization, is it really that valuable for our customer? either. Like they get great thoughts. They get a great community, which is super helpful. But where we see churn, we, I just did a churn analysis. It's with these single seats that we brought on a year ago because of all the things I just said, like there's no alignment. There's also nobody like holding them accountable or asking them about what they're doing. And so both for our customer and for our business, the B2B model was great, but we spent a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of marketing dollars on that model, but we had the data through Salesforce and some of our other tools to say, this isn't working. So now we feel like we've given it enough time because sometimes you don't, you gotta give stuff some time to percolate. So we diverted from that and went back to B2B hundred percent. I love it. I love it. So my final question is, we always say fuck 4% 
And yeah. that's our model because women own nearly half of businesses in the US, but we only generate 4% of total revenues. And while you are the CEO of this business, I still see you as a founding partner because you are driving revenues. That is your job as CEO, keep cash and grow cash. Yep. Um, well, we so do. My, my question to you is, now that you all are at the multi-millions, what is your focus now to get this company to the next level? Yeah, well, super tactically, we are implementing EOS right now. And this is not an EOS commercial. It's not a commercial for Indianapolis. It's not a commercial for Salesforce, but all of these are things I love. Getting a strategic operating system. I don't care what brand you pick. You know, Benioff has his, what does he call it? We used to use it at my last company. Anyway, everybody has their strategic plans. Get one use it, be obsessed with it, and make sure you're paying attention to the red flags that pop up in those systems because they're usually trying to tell you something. That's one thing. The other is I find I do more coaching with females. This is just like off the cuff coaching around money and money scripts way more than men. Now we all have our baggage, right? Everybody grew up with parents. Money was good. Money was bad. Money was tight. Money was plentiful. Whatever you grew up with, but women sometimes, I, I have found more than men have guilt associated with it, or there's like this hang up around making too much or being too much, which can sometimes get tied in to finances. So I have seen some self-sabotage when you start to reach certain levels, like you were talking about earlier today. Like I have this imposter syndrome that pops up about every three months on demand around some new thing that I don't know shit about like reading a PL for the first time for me. No, I, I didn't go to business school. I don't, I still have, our, our controller still tells me what bills to pay. Like surround yourself with good people. Facts. But I think figuring out how we approach success and financial gain and the big numbers with your therapist, with your friends, with your trusted advisors, I think a lot of problems we face are self-generated. Absolutely. And I will tell you this because I have this conversation every day. Thank, shout out to my friend, Didi Chan, who literally walked me through my sins of imposter syndrome yesterday. She was just like, oh, girl, stop right now. Stop it. I, I see you. I feel you. And then have those people hype you up and then also give you tactical advice. Like, here's where to focus now. Like, here's what I'm hearing you say. So I love this. And now that you're all are focusing on that, getting that next level, how can we support you? How can the audience support you? Come check us out. Our website is www.blind-zebra. So blind-zebra.com. We do every month, we have a free premium webinar that we do with one of our friendly brands, usually sales enablement tools like Gong, like Sales Intel and Outreach and Sendoso and guys like that. Then we also have previews on the regular where you can come just get some great sales coaching, meet some other great sales and client success folks and leaders and our website will continue to be updated with additional tools and content. So we just love to get the word out. We've got a great LinkedIn following. I would love to meet you there. Come link in with me, Stephanie Neal on LinkedIn. We just love to create a community of good intentioned salespeople across the world. So yeah, we'd love to have you be part of Team BZ. That's what we say. Hashtag Team BZ. Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to grow your company on your own terms. If you want to learn more traction tips like these from Badass Women Entrepreneurs Weekly, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, queen, show us some love by rating and reviewing this podcast. This really helps us reach and serve more women like you in slaying their way to traction. 
And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetsshitdone.com slash join, where you'll become a part of the movement of women entrepreneurs giving 4% the middle finger. Until next time, queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.